0: Now, doesn't it feel good to know that we're engaged in our world and we're touching lives? Um, I, was, uh, I was listening to that Glory, Power, and Honor song this morning, and, and it's an original song of us and from our house, and I just, I had this overwhelming sense of the presence of God. And I really believe that if we come in here and we don't, we don't sense the presence of God, um, we've missed something, Amen. You know, someone has said, if the church is not supernatural, it's superficial. So I I just want to invite you right now into his presence. You say, what does that mean, Pastor? I don't know what that means. It means that you simply say, God, I just want an awareness of you to be present in my life this very moment. I want to be God conscious. I don't want my mind straying and going off and thinking of all kind of crazy things. I want to be focused on you. So I just want to pray right now that God is going to bring that to us before we bring a message today. Father, in Jesus' name, we just invoke your presence. We want an awareness of you, God, that is supernatural. We want to hear your voice. We want your word to speak to us powerfully and might of, in a mighty way. And, God, we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I don't know if anyone has ever done a message at Christmas time from the Book of Job, <laughs> but I'm going to give it a try. Um, you know, how many times have you gone through some difficult time and you said, "I feel like Job," and yet you know in reality your life could never be that bad. And and but yet we're we're torn with this idea that um, if you do what is right, everything will go well for you. We also understand this idea that Job, we, we read Walla, he was the most righteous man in, the, in his world. He was the most righteous man in the east, but he was not the most righteous man. East is where Sodom was. He stood out in a really, really dark place, but he lived at the same time as Abraham did. And Abraham was said to be a friend of God. So sometimes we look at Job and we think, "Wow, he did everything right and everything went wrong for him. Have you ever underestimated what God does in your life through challenging times? Until you get through them and you look back and you go, look what God did in my life. Do you realize the very birth of Jesus came with great turmoil and great struggle? It came with the persecution and the genocide, really the of of children under Herod. And so sometimes great things are birthed out of difficult and challenging times. I think we live in a time that's challenging in many ways. Challenging because it's so different than it was, let's say, even five years ago. And life really kind of looks a little bit different. But Job asked this question in Job chapter 9 in verse 2. He said, how can a man be right, that is, righteous before God? How can a man be righteous before God? Have you ever asked that question, like, what do I need to do, God? I want to be be lined up with you. I want to be in sync with you. I want your blessings, your favor on me, God. I, I need you to do that in my life. A little bit later in that same chapter, Job said this, For he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, and that we may go to court together, nor is there a mediator between us who may lay his hand upon us both. Now, keep in mind that Job was probably written at least 4,000 years ago. He's asking a question in a time when Abraham was on the earth is there not a mediator? Is there not someone who can lay his hand on sinful man and holy God and bring the two together? You know what his heart was crying out for? His heart was crying out for Jesus. Let me read a little bit more Job chapter 19, verse 25. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that he shall stand at last on the earth. A Redeemer is someone who buys you out of slavery. The slavery of sin, Job understood very well. He understood the struggles and the things that were going through in life that, were, that needed a Savior, that needed a Redeemer. Now, if I could just fast forward with you in the book of Job to the 42nd chapter, I think maybe some of his life will make sense. Because if you think that Job had it all together, he didn't. Any more than the person you're sitting in church with today has it all together. If you you think you have it all together, you don't. You might be better than the guy sitting next to you, but that doesn't mean that you have it all together. And what I want to do is I want to show you this whole concept of a Redeemer, a Savior. We're going to look into the book of Luke in just a moment. But first, I want to take you to the last chapter of the book of Job, and I just want to read something to you from his his words. He said, I have uttered what I did not understand. He's reflecting on his life now. He's gone through the struggles. He says, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. And then God says, please, listen, let me speak. And I said, I will question you, and you shall answer. And he said this, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. You see, you can hear about God. You can think you know God or know about God and not know and really see God. What I want you to do today is I want you to enter into a a knowing awareness of God, into his presence where you say, God is real to me today. God is powerful to me today. You see, Job understood that God is the Savior. God is the Savior. I want to take you to a familiar story from the book of Luke, and it's really Mary's experience. It's Mary's prayer of what how she re- was reacting to this experience of encountering this angel in the and understanding that she was now the virgin prophesied of Old Testament. It says here in Luke chapter 1, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. You know, Mary knew that she needed a Savior. You know, and if some of you have come out of a Roman Catholic background. You were probably taught that Mary was sinless. She was not. You probably were taught that Mary went directly to heaven and never died. She did not. She died. You see, Mary was a wonderful, wonderful woman, chosen among all but she was just like you and like me. We need a savior. We need someone who can bridge the gap between holy God and sinful man. Amen. You see, only God satisfies. You can try to be satisfied with all kinds of things in life. You can say, well, I I want to be satisfied with money or travel or or power, position, friends, or just your comfortability. I'm just I just want to be comfortable. I don't want to be messed with. You ever feel like that? You know, you ever just want to don't mess my comfort zone up? And yet we're living in a world that constantly does that somehow. But God only, only satisfies. Ansam said, there is within man a God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill. Try to fill that vacuum with anything or anyone besides God, and you will find yourself starving to death. You see, God is the Savior. What does that mean? He's the rescuer. You know, I remember going through a period in my, time, uh, in my life when I was in college, and I wondered about God. In fact, I actually lit the candles in the church that I went to. I, we'd walk down the aisle, I'd light the candles, and then we'd go off and goof off in the basement with my friend Jim. And I remember always having this prevailing question on my mind. I'd hear people talk about Jesus died for our sins. I heard it in church, but I wondered why. And I never got up the boldness to ask someone, why did he die? I thought I would look, you know, like uninformed. After all, I'm a candlelighter, right? I've got the robe. I've got the whole deal. And have you ever just said, you know, I don't know something about God, or I don't know how to enter into God's presence, but you assume everybody knows but you. Do not ever assume that. You know, teach your tongue to say, I do not know. It's a step in wisdom. I don't know. Will you help me? Will you mentor me? Will you explain something to me? Now, remember Job said, I'm longing for a mediator that can put his hand on holy God and sinful men. Now, let me take you forward in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says, God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So what is the heart of God? that you might be saved that you might come to the knowledge of the truth about God that you wouldn't operate in religion you'd operate in relationship you'd operate in a in a in a place where God actually speaks to you and you hear him you say well how does God speak well sometimes it's just through his word and you go i hear the voice of God in that but it goes on to say for there is one god And one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. How many mediators are there? (laughs) There's one. See, I'm not your mediator. You can come tell me your sins and I'll be intrigued. But I can't forgive your sins. You see the difference? Now, I've always, the the one thing I've always admired about the Catholic Church, I always wanted to do was the confessional booth. (laughs) I'd love to sit in there day after day and just listen. I know I would be a very bad priest. I'd be going, Are you kidding me? You're doing that again? How long has it been since your last confession? You can't possibly remember all the things that went on there. But in all seriousness, I want to just emphasize that when you sin, you go directly to God and you ask God to forgive you. And guess what God does? He forgives you, amen? Isn't that good news? And so we have one mediator between God and man. And you see, Jesus was sinless Therefore, he could die for your sin on the cross. You might die for someone, but that doesn't do anything other than show that you're noble or you love them. If you got in their place, you said, I'll die for them. But you see, Jesus was sinless, and he died for our sins, but it didn't stop there. It says he rose to give us life, eternal life. You see, if Jesus would have died, your sins would have been forgiven, but you wouldn't have new life. The resurrection brings about the new life. And you see, God brings blessings into your life. You know, sometimes they're masqueraded and they're disguised as trials. You ever had any of those? It's wearing a mask. It doesn't look like a blessing to me. And then it turns out to be a blessing. We were talking the other day with some friends. We were just talking about the miracles, some of the miracle healings in our church over the years. And you look back and you think, every time you get bad news, it's what? Bad news doesn't look like a blessing. doesn't look like a miracle. You don't see where it's going, and yet God is doing something. God was doing something in Job's life that would, in the end, would be even greater. Later in that same chapter, 42, it says that when Job forgave his friends, God restored the fortune and multiplied it four times in the life of Job. So not only did Job come to a personal knowledge and understanding of God, but he was, re- he was actually restored four times over. Now, let me ask you something. It, why did it wait? Why did that not happen until he forgave his friends? Because forgiveness is unforgiveness in your life is one of the greatest hindrances to relationship and favor of God. You say, well, you don't know what they did to me. No, I don't. It doesn't matter. It's not about them. It's about you. You see, and what you don't want to do is you don't want to hold on to something because they're not going to say they're sorry. They're not going to suffer the consequences. Don't worry about them. God will take care of them. That's what I've always found. God is, God is in charge. Every time I try to be God, I fail. How about you? Amen? Right? And so what I do is the word forgiveness comes from a Greek word that means to throw away from you. If you hold on to unforgiveness, then its consequences in your life, are going to eat away at you and eat away at you, and they're going to prevent you going where you want. When, the Bible says in Job 42, he prayed for his friends. God restored Job. I wonder if he would have prayed for his friends earlier if he'd have been restored earlier. He might have, Job might have only had 30 chapters instead of 42. You, you get my idea here? The idea is what is stopping you today from experiencing all the blessings of God, one thing might be unforgiveness in your life. You say, well, it's too late. They've already died. It's okay. It's not about them. It's about you. God, I forgive them. I can't talk to them. I can't see them. Don't want to see them, but I'm going to ask forgiveness. Yes, Have you ever gone to someone and said, hey, I'd like you to, I'd like you to just say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, and I just want to, you know, get. and what you're trying to do is prompt them to do the same. And they go, okay, thank you. <laughs> now you're mad all over again about something else, Right? What happened there? You were expecting that you're, you were doing it to get them to do something instead of doing it because it was the right thing to do. God wants you to do the right thing, irregardless of what anybody else does. God wants you to walk in righteousness. I love that psalm that was read earlier during worship, Psalm 24. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has a pure heart and clean hands. I was just in there, God, I want my heart and my hands to be pure. God, forgive me. Forgive me, God, for anything that I've done, said, thought, even those things I can't even remember. Just forgive me, God. Well, let's see. God brings blessing. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, verses 48 through 50. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. Why Mary didn't want to be exalted. She didn't want to be lifted up. She understood something about humility. She understood something about her role. She was a maidservant. The Bible says, For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him. You know, humility brings blessings. You know, it's the hardest thing because if you try to be humble, you're usually not. Have you ever noticed that? Like, I, I, And if somebody tells you they're humble, that's another problem, amen? I'm just so glad I'm humble. Humble is a word that means when the water runs low in a river. It's the idea that you put yourself in a position whereby you're not looking for acclamation. You're not looking for favor. You're not looking for anything. You're just saying, God, when I think about you, God, and how great you are, the only role I can see myself in is one that's low. And God, if you want to do something in my life and you want to lift me up, you lift me up. But God, that's not my job to lift me up. It's my job to walk humbly with my God. The other thing we know here is that holiness brings blessings. Notice it says, holy is his name. You know, there are many areas that God says things are holy. You know, the birth of Christ, we would say, is holy. We talk about uh, the tabernacle and all of those things. Those were holy in the Old Testament. But there's other things that are holy. In fact, do you know that the tithe is holy? Holy. I want to show you a verse, Leviticus 2730, all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Right. You realize everything you have is holy. When you, you say, I earn something, it's, it's mine. Uh, we were, I was teasing uh, our little three-year-old granddaughter the other day, and I said, that's mine. Oh, no, it's mine. She let me know, Un, no uncertainty, it's mine. And I have to admit, I kind of enjoyed hearing her say it's mine. I said, no, it's mine. But really what's happening there, it's, it's fueling that whole idea that we own something. I, I, uh, I was curious this morning, and I just, uh, forgive me for, for not having thought about this ahead of time, but I thought about it and I just screenshot I went on I thought, I remember the Greek word for stewardship means the manager of the house, something like that. And I looked it up. And here's what it says, stewardship comes from the Greek word or economy, which means management of the house or household. In the New Testament, it means man's management of his whole life in response to God's love. The management of my whole life in response to God's love. Why do I do the things that are right? Because of God's love. That's why I do it. I don't do it because I get something. I do it because he's loved me so much. You know, and Christmas is that, that expression of that incarnation, God coming in the flesh, where we see the love of God in such a, a mighty way. Listen to it in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring all the tithes into my storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not watch this. Open, open for you the windows of heaven, and pour out for you such a blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. I I'd forgot about this, but years ago, when I was in my, our, we were in our first church, I had a guy come up to me and said, How much money do you want to make next year? And I thought he was joking. I didn't know what he meant. I, I didn't know there was a, a true line on this thing. And I said, Well, I don't know, a little bit more? He said, Tithe on what you want to earn. I said, Well, that's the craziest thought I've ever heard in my life. I mean, tithing was a big challenge. I didn't make much money. And if it wasn't been for expired uh, macaroni and cheese noodles at 19 cents a box, we would have gone hungry. And I'm not lying. And I said, you know, I'm going to do that. And I started doing that. I've always given above my, my income. I've always given above a tithe. And a tithe is 10%, by the way, in case you don't know. And, and then about 15 or 20 years later, I thought, you know, I remembered that. And I went back and I looked at my income tax, keep all my old income tax. I looked, I said, how much did I make and how much did I give? And every single year, the next year, I made what I tithed on. You say, well, that's just a coincidence. It might be, but it's like 15 to 20 years of them. You see, here's the thing. Everything about your life should be supernatural. Everything about your life should be dedicated unto God and to where you walk into the presence of God. And the, the explanation of your life should be supernatural and spiritual. Why would it be any different in any area of your life? And what, I want, what we want to do is we want to position ourselves in such a way that we see the hand of God in our jobs, in our children, in our community, in our world. Every December, we have something called a miracle offering, and we've talked about that a little bit. We've talked about, um, I want to reinforce it every week in December, so in January, you won't have to hear from me again about this subject, but honestly, you know, it's been a great miracle. It was January 23rd of last year that we closed on our first building, uh, our next building, actually. And I, I really believe that the first decade of our of our whole ministry, the first 10 years, we're characterized by being pioneers. Well, we've got to establish them. We've got to set up shop. We've got to figure out where we are and who we are. And then the next decade is going to be that of builders and that that we need to build things. And so uh, we've got some pictures here of uh, of our building here and, and of our new building and then across the street. So that... That's the building you're in right now. And God blessed us with that building in such a marvelous way. You know, he provided all the money at the last minute. Have you ever noticed how God is a last minute God? He waits for you to just to get as much faith out of you as he can. He says, okay, I believe you. And so we were able to purchase that building. And then uh, last year we expanded that and we went to our next building, this one here. And some of you have been in our ministry center there and God has blessed us with that. That's just not even a year old yet. And God blessed us in an amazing way. Yeah, put your hands together. Give God the glory. And it was a remarkable season for us because we had people, some of whom were leaving the state, and they said, we're selling our home, but you know what? We're going to tithe off our profit. And we had three or four families that did that, and I'm just like blown away. I thought, wow, that is amazing. And, and God did something. And then we recently, you know, expanded across the street our children's area. Now we have uh, in, our, in our influence center there, we now have uh, just a worship alone space for first through fifth grade of over 2,000 square feet. Not to mention the game room and the, and the other rooms. And there's about 6,000 total square feet of space there. And so our goal for, for now is, is to – we're looking at this expansion of this worship center and the reorientation. I want to uh, – you've seen this picture. Some of you have seen it. But uh, this would move the stage to that wall, and then it would reorient all the chairs and take out that whole section over there where you see the green tape. And so everyone will be able to face the front, and uh, you wouldn't be uh, looking at the side of me. My, this is not my best side. I don't have one. Um but anyway, that just kind of gives you a feel for what we're trying to do. And we just simply ask you, you say, well, are we going to do it? I said, it's really up to us. If people respond, we're going to do it. Um, it's, it. That's just kind of how we operate. We operate by faith. We, th- we believe this is what God's showing us. And if, uh, if, if, if you respond, we respond. Well, let me show you something else here about God as well, that God's promises are for every generation. I don't know about you, but I, I kind of like the family tree thing. Have you ever, anybody ever like search your ancestry out? Have you ever noticed that no one ever brags about having like a crook, uh, a, a, you know, a, a really low life, jailed bird kind of guy in their family tree? And, and uh, we've all got those, amen? In fact, we all go back to a, a crooked farmer named Adam. Remember him? who sinned against God. We've all got that in our family, but I love going back reading, and and I read about the history and and some of these sites that I'm on. You know, it tells the spiritual heritage of my family. And I was surprised to learn how many of them were great people of faith. Some were pastors. I had no idea. And you know, in your heritage, think about a blessing that's on you, but think about a blessing on your generations to come. The book of Proverbs says that a, a wise man a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children, children. I always wondered about that. Why not to their children? He's just trying to get even. I'll fix you. I'll give it to your grand. No, I'm just kidding. But you see, the, the idea is generational blessings should be a part of your life. How do I bless not this generation but the generations to come in my world? And look what Mary says here. She says, from generation to generation, Luke chapter 1. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones, exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Now, let me just, let me just talk about this a little bit. So God wants to do something generationally in our life, in our world. He wants to bless future generations and if we're, and, and he does it with his strength, it says with the strength of his arm. But the proud notice what he does, he scatters the proud and the imagination of their heart. You know that when you're filled with pride, you dream up all kinds of things that aren't true. Your mind wanders in a million directions. You go like you have no focus, you have no self mastery to where you're looking at your life and you're saying, This is what God wants me to do, and this is how I'm going to do it. How freeing is it to be able to be in that position? In your life, And then he says, he has put down the mighty from the thrones. In other words, there are those who exalt themselves. He says, I'm going to take care of that. He says, I'm going to, those, and he's, he said, but I've filled the hungry with good things. You know, I watched that video on missions. I thought, you know, we've, we've done a really good work. And it's never ended, is it? It never stops. I was always baffled with that scripture where Jesus says, the poor you will have with you always. And I thought, well, that doesn't seem fair, God. Can't we fix that problem? And obviously nobody's been able to fix it, have they? But then as I looked at it from a different angle from God's perspective, you know how important the poor are to all of us? You say, well, that's me. I'm poor. Amen. I mean really poor. I mean without anything, without clothing, without shelter, without transportation, They're, they're really poor. I think it's to recalibrate us. If you only hang around people that are like you, you begin to think this is normal. This is how everyone lives. But when you get around someone less fortunate or you get involved in their life, it recalibrates you to think I need to be grateful for what I have. I need to be helpful to other people. I need to make a difference in the lives of someone. I was walking out of Hobby Lobby. Uh, there's only like four guys that ever have gone to Hobby Lobby. <laughs> and I, I went in there for something, and I'm, and, you know, and seriously, I mean, I was the only guy in the entire place. The women were working there. They were, the women were shopping there. I'm walking around there. I look like a novelty in there. What, why is he in here? You could hear whispers in the aisle. And I walk out and they had the Salvation Army uh, Santa Claus. Remember the guys that ring the bell? And, uh, and I walk by him, you know, he's ringing, you know, he's, he's, he's not that excited about his job. I mean, I could tell it, you know. But you know, he's doing a job. He's trying to do something good, right? And I walk past him and I get out to my car and God says to me, why didn't you give him something? <sighs> I hate it when God does this. <laughs> I don't know. You know, he's probably got, you know, a lot of ladies coming out. They're probably dropping their purse like crazy over there. I, and I'm, in my mind, I'm justifying, I'm talking to the Spirit of God. I'm trying to convince the Spirit of God why I didn't give the guy a dollar or $5 or $10. And God brought a verse to me. He said, he who gives to the poor lends unto the Lord and the Lord will repay. I went back, I put a $20 bill in there. I felt so good, you know why? Couple of reasons, number one, I was obedient to God. And the second reason is I love the way I feel when I release things that I think I own. See God, the thing I love about God is God wants to take every one of us and make us like himself. Just like him. You know, where, where we love, we're kind, we reach out, we're making a difference, we're walking in the power of God, we're, we're, we're doing all the things that we want to do, and yet there's something holistic about us that makes everything work together. Can I just tell you this? What that is defined as in the Bible is spirit-filled living. It's walking in the fullness of God. It's knowing the word of God, and it's being obedient to the spirit of God in everything you do. Amen. I want you to stand with me. I want to pray, and I want to ask, I want to pray a challenging prayer to you to step in to the destiny God has for you as a son or a daughter of the living God. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, some of you are ready. Are you ready for that? All right. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross, that you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. I pray that I can step into the destiny, the plan, and the purpose of my life in Jesus' name. If you receive that, you see, I receive that in Jesus' name.